Welcome to the LTC University podcast. My name is Jamie Preston and I'm super excited today. We have a provider from Main Street Physicians and he is, let me just say this, I talk to people all the time, you know, throughout our different companies and they always say, well, Nate's my, Nate's my provider. And every time, oh, I love Nate. I love Nate. And today we have the famous Nate Stoker on our podcast. How are you doing, Nate? Uh, I'm doing well. I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, I always like to say when I hear things like that, uh, don't always believe the hype, but uh, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm proud to stay modest in my lifestyle. So, uh, no, I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, I'm excited to, to talk about some things today and yeah. give people some insight on yeah. uh, how we, how we kind of operate here at Main Street Physicians. Nice. Yeah, well, it, it is true. Every time I talk to, oh, Nate's my provider. Nate's Nate's my provider. Oh, I love Nate. He's such a good provider. He, oh, he helped me do this. He, he, yeah, you, you are, you are well-respected and people love you. Let me, let me just say that. And, and I have not solicited those, those, uh, ideas. People have freely given them. So you're doing a great job, man. So. Well, it's, uh, it, it's much appreciated and I'm, uh, I'm grateful to, to be able to care for people and yeah. uh, and make them feel that way, so yeah. it's uh, it's always good to get some reassurance on that. That's awesome. Well, to, today we're going to be talking about patient experience and and how patients experience a provider. So you know, for those that don't know, providers are graded, and and I actually looked you up today, Nate. And do you want to know? And, and providers get mm-hmm. a star rating. Do you, do you want me to tell you your star rating? <laughs> sure. All right. It's five out of five, baby. You're, 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 you're doing well. I I looked you up and, uh, just, just so we could, you know, share that. So you're, you're doing things right. You're giving your patients a great experience and, and it shows. So, so there are other providers out there that I've, I I appreciate that. Yeah. And it is super important. So when provider, when people are looking for a primary care provider, that star rating, I, I, matter of fact, I just, I stayed in a hotel the other day. It was actually yesterday. I was, I woke up in a hotel in Columbia and it was not a great experience. The staff was great. You know, you know, they were, they did a great job, but the hotel itself is felt like it was falling apart. And, and so, uh, I was asked to give a review. I gave a review and that's what patients are doing for providers as well. So it's really important that patients have a good experience. And, and we've also talked about on this podcast, how patients that have a better experience do better and they, they heal better. They get, you know, well, you know, they're, they're healthier when they have a better provider experience. So so we're going to go through some, you know, some topics here and, and talk through some questions and and kind of get your take on this, Nate, because you're obviously doing a great job with your patients. So before we jump into some of these questions, though, I want you to give people kind of your background, give people kind of where you came from, how you became a provider, how you got into healthcare. Give us give us the 40,000 foot view. Um, so, you know, getting in, you know, starting way back in, in my high school years, actually probably in my childhood years, um, I tend to be, uh, accident prone and I, that's just part of my, uh, you know, kind of my, <laughs> my build as a, as a human being and, um, starting that, you know, from that, I spent a lot of time in the emergency room, either getting stitches or breaking a bone or, 
um, you know, having uh, an unfortunate circumstance, usually uh, later uh, in the evening. So my parents really loved me for that. So they had to spend the <laughs> night in the, uh, the emergency room. Um, but I had a, a lot of exposure uh, to kind of the healthcare world uh, in my younger years. Mm-hmm. And uh, as, I, as I grew up and I uh, in high school, took a, uh, uh, I think it was a medical terminology class or, or something along those lines. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I took mm-hmm. Latin as a foreign language, which wasn't wow. a, uh, a usual foreign language. It's not your everyday uh, because, foreign language. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So, so I, uh, I wanted, I knew that, you know, a lot of medical terminology was derived from, you know, Latin Latin stems. And, and, and so uh, I was, I knew before I even went into college that I wanted to do something in the medical field. Now, what that was, I wasn't quite sure. Um, but towards my senior year, they would give us these, uh, these periods where we were able to kind of go out and shadow people in different professions uh, and, and kind of narrow down, hey, this is kind of the path we want to take. Uh, for the longest time, I wanted to be a PA, um, which is physician's assistant. And um, I went and shadowed you know, five or six of those. Um, PAs are great. Um, but I, I didn't like, uh, I didn't like their pathway on how they became there and it's nothing on them. It just wasn't the pathway for me. Sure. Um, and so when I started to look, you know, kind of around for equivalent professions, um, nursing was one that came, uh, and then obviously going on and being a physician was, you know, one that came up. I'm going to be quite honest. When I was in high school, I was not a fan of school. Mm. Um, and you know, I did well, I made good grades, but you know, uh, my teacher struggling for me to do my homework was, you know, an everyday <laughs> occurrence. Um, and, and, and it didn't have anything to do on them. I just, it wasn't something I enjoyed. I played a lot of sports. I, lo- I liked sports more than anything. Um, and so when, uh, after kind of figuring out, okay, PA is not the route I wanted to go, kind of put me in a situation of, um, you know, what are my other options? Okay. Being a physician, you know, that's four years of college, four years of medical school, depending on what type of residency you want to do might be another two to four years, uh, of residency. And, um, so I was like, wow, that doesn't sound like a path for me either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I settled on nursing and, you know, male nurses, um, you know, RNs, are kind of a dime or a, uh, a dime a dozen, you know, when you're looking at the general whole population of the nursing field, uh, it tends to be a more dom- uh, female dominated field. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started nursing um, at the University of South Carolina in 20 or 2009 um, and was able to obtain my bachelor's of science uh, in nursing um, in 2013, where I came straight out of school and went directly into the medical ICU. Mm. Um, you know, it can be quite a transition to go from a brand new nursing student into the ICU. So sure. there was definitely uh, a lot expected of me of being able to learn and become proficient at a lot of things at a quick pace. Um, and uh, I spent some time there. I also spent some time in the emergency department. Um, and so uh, going I got to a point in that career where I knew what needed to be done, but the initials behind my name didn't allow me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I realized, you know, I wasn't meant to be just a nurse. I, I wanted to be able to care for people, be a part of me, their medical decision making, um, you know, and uh, that that drove me to go back to school. And uh, in 2018, I graduated again from the University of South Carolina with my master's of science in nursing and uh, got accredited by the AANP 
um, which is the American Association of Nurse Practitioner. Um, and uh, I began work as a, as a upper level provider, which um, was, uh, what I'll say is since I've done that, uh, it's definitely been an eye-opening experience to healthcare as a whole. And um, what, one thing I will say is that uh, as a nurse practitioner, you build this wonderful foundation that I think is going to play into some of the topics we're going to talk about mm-hmm. uh, later on how to communicate in an effective way with with patients. Sure. Um, because as a nurse, the the physician or attending may come in and speak for five minutes, use uh, a lot of big words that the families and patients aren't understanding, um, and it is then your job to kind of put that in layman's terms. Um, you know, decide for that, uh, put that in layman's terms, and then be able to reiterate that to patients and family members uh, to make them feel that they have a good understanding of uh, what's going on and how I'm being cared for. Sure. And I was able to kind of bring that aspect uh, when I started to um, provide direct care for for patients, being able to, to uh, explain things in a way and talk in a way where uh, I was um, really able to get people to understand um, and answer questions effectively where there was no confusion. Um, and that put me, you know, when I graduated from school, that put me with South Carolina House Calls. I was actually working uh, in a skilled nursing facility originally in Aiken um, and uh, did some time down there, really enjoyed that setting, um, got to see a lot of patients with a lot of different comorbidities and a lot of different acute issues kind of mixed together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was offered the opportunity to kind of move to the clinic here at, uh, in Main Street uh, Physicians uh, in Columbia. And uh, since then, I've been here for uh, right under four years. Um, I've really enjoyed uh, my time here and continue to do it day in and day out. Wow, that's great! Yeah, what a, what a cool path. I I love that. I love I love hearing that story. How it started by just getting stitches when you were a kid, and I got lots of those when I was a kid. So I, I totally get that. We're definitely from that generation that got a lot mm-hmm. of stitches. Uh, so I love that. You know, now Nate, you you're working in a clinic setting at Main Street Physicians in Columbia. You know, you're seeing patients every day. They're coming in. You know, a lot of that, like you said, is communication. How do you communicate with them? How do you speak on, you know, um, a patient level, uh, you know, who, like like myself, don't know all the medical terms? And how do you explain those things? So it's really, really important to be able to communicate with them. So one of the things I want to jump into here is you know, as you care for these patients, you're also utilizing other, you know, physicians and, and different nurse practitioners as specialists to refer them out when they need those services. You know, is it important that you work with, you know, specialists, um, you know, to be, to be able to care for your patients? Cause you, cause in, in the primary care setting, you're not set up to do everything, you know, what are you looking for in a, in a, in a specialist when you're referring out? Sure. So, you know, as a primary care, you are kind of the quarterback uh, of their health care. They're going to see, you know, they may see a cardiologist and a nephrologist and a gastroenterologist, mm-hmm. but everything centers from the primary care aspect that, you know, referring these patients to those uh, specialty providers. And, you know, when I look uh, at specialists, you know, just how you talked about and kind of opened up uh, this podcast with, um, you know, stars or their, you know, physicians are graded. 
um, you know, that that's definitely one important aspect that you look at. You don't want to send your patient, um, you know, to someone who may not have that great of a grade. Sure. Um, now, granted, they get graded for for different reasons and, you know, maybe just had, you know, some poor experiences or whatever. I have been fortunate enough to be from the Columbia area and being in a couple of the different hospital systems uh, around the area that I was able to develop, you know, uh, working relationships and personal relationships with providers in a bunch of different uh, specialties. Um, and so, you know, there are, um, when I talk about certain specialists, there are specialists that I would send my own family members to. And that's how I look at it is would I send someone in my family to go see this provider? Um, and, you know, that's, that's something that I think uh, really plays heavily in who I choose uh, in which specialty. Um, you know, uh, I, you probably talked about this in previous podcasts, but South Carolina House Calls in a whole has their own group of specialists, mm-hmm. um, you know, in certain uh, disciplines, cardiology, pain management, physical therapy, uh, you know, just to name a few. Uh, and so, you know, having quick access and being able to have a direct line of contact with those providers, um, you know, will sometimes uh, encourage you to you know, use those providers uh, because you know that the communication is going to be there between the mm-hmm. two. Um, and the communication is key, especially when you're you're sending your patients to a specialist that, okay, you've identified an issue. They need a higher level of care or a specialty level of care. I'm going to send them to this person. I want to be able to follow up on that. Um, and, you know, uh, there are times where, you know, South Carolina Health Calls fits that perfect window. But at the same time, there's times when I, I, I need them to see a different specialty that maybe they don't offer, um, or um, I need them to, you know, have a particular set of tests that maybe uh, that, uh, you know, that specialist doesn't offer. Um, so I, I, I am, uh, I'll say, blessed to be in a situation where I have so many options mm-hmm. um, to to choose a specialist and, and kind of. Uh, have my pick of the litter on, on where I want my patients to go, because a lot of places, uh, a lot of uh, counties, even in the state, don't have the availability of those specialists uh, in that kind of demographic area. Sure. And, uh, you know, that's one thing I really benefit uh, from uh, as far as being in the Columbia area with all these different uh, South Carolina house calls and the different hospital systems we have uh, and the availability of uh, those specialists to be able to kind of, you know, pick and choose. Um, and, and that's, uh, that's, you know, a lot of things I put into account on when I'm deciding where I want to send my, my patients, um, uh, to see a specialist. Yeah. And, and it's so important because I mean, you know, I love your analogy too. You're, you know, as a prime, as a PCP, you're, you're the quarterback in this patient's care. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, trying to, you know, get them the help they need and that specialist that you're sending them to, whether that's internally you know, through SC house calls, one of your own teammates mm-hmm. or externally to another provider mm-hmm. that's, you know, at, at a different office, you know, it directly reflects you as their PCP. Right. So that's why it's so important to know who you're sending them to. And, and, and like you said, you're blessed to have been in the Columbia area and, and you know, a lot of these, you know, resources for your patients. And I think that's, that's, that's how it's one of the ways you give great care at the end of the day. Right. And, so. and and like you said, you know, 
how they're how they're how they perceive that specialist and how they feel like they were treated at that specialist is a direct reflection of me because I'm the one sending them there. Um, so you never want one of your patients to have a poor experience at a specialist because sure. uh, a lot of times that turns around as a, a direct reflection upon yourself. So mm-hmm. absolutely, you know. So you know, we talked about you know referring out specialists. You know, let's get into. How do you convey to your patients that you've heard their concerns? Because this is communication is so it's it's big. Now I've I've you know especially with my parents you know helping with their care when they've been in the hospital talking to different doctors, different providers. Every provider is different, and their communication style is different. You know, I think especially as a PCP, you've got to be able to communicate well. You have to really work on that side of things because I've been with providers who've been very cold, very distant. They may communicate way over the patient's head. You know, you know how how do you make sure that your patients are being heard? How do you use your body language skills and and, and listening skills? You know, how do you how do you do that, Nate? Sure. So, you know, your patients, I'll be honest with you, probably 75% of primary care is listening to your patient. Mm -hmm. It's not even actually acting on, you know, acute issues. It's majority of the patients that come in, a lot of their problems are are, are very simply solved. They just feel like they want to be heard. They want to have that conversation and, and feel like they're understood by their, you know, their healthcare provider, you know, when I bring in a patient or I, I meet a patient, the way that I conduct what they like to term as the interview is is less on a more follow a you know bullet point list of questions. I like a, an open conversation format, and and certain things will lead into other things. Um, you know, it's as the patient coming in, you there is a, a high anxiety, especially when you're meeting a provider for the first time on. Am I going to like this person? Will this person be able to help me? You know, obviously, a lot of them are dealing with acute, you know, acute issues like pain or, or anxiety or depression or, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, stomach issues. There's a whole, you know, that am I going to be able to get those things fixed? My job, one of the first things I, I like to do when, you know, meeting a patient is trying to calm that anxiety by certain body language and, and the conversational piece of uh, of their care and keeping it less of uh, talking down or talking at a patient and more of a, a give and take and, and answer and reply. Um, I always keep open body language. Uh, I make a conscious effort not to cross my arms, um, you know, not staring uh, at a computer screen while a patient is talking, looking at them, uh, making eye contact. Uh, those are, you know, kind of some nonverbal things that uh, we do to let the patient know that we're engaged in what they're saying and, and actively listening, you know, uh, talking with patients and their about their previous providers, you know, one of the most common things that gets brought up is, you know, they typed on the computer the whole time I was in here. They never even looked at me. Mm-hmm. And I've had multiple patients say that and bring that to my attention. Um, and that they, they truly felt like they weren't being heard based on that, uh, that kind of portion there. And so uh, with DAX, which is uh, our um, new kind of charting system, allows us to focus less on the computer 
-hmm. and more on focusing on the patient and being able to engage and focus on, uh, you know, giving eye contact, open body language. You know, um, one of the easiest things that I can do uh, to make a patient heard is at the end of the appointment, I summarize what issues we've talked about, mm -hmm. what we're doing about those issues, um, and kind of, you know, uh, if I was a lawyer, it would be giving the closing argument. Sure. Um, uh, it, it, it's it's wrapping all those things in, filling in those gaps, um, reiterating that care plan that we're going to institute, whether it be medication or therapy or a lot of times it's a wait and see approach, kind of see how things progress because right now it's not, uh, you know, a, uh, um, nothing's causing any medical harm, um, but it could advance to that possibly. And you might, you might use the wait and see approach, which, um, you know, is a, is a very good tool to use uh, in the, in the primary care world. Sure. Um, and, and that summarization and being able to repeat uh, what you guys have discussed in a compact a concise format really lets the patient know that they've been heard. They have an understanding of the plan and how we're going to move forward. I also personally like to add in uh, situations where if this doesn't solve the problem, we have option ABC as mm -hmm. well. So it lets the patient know that, okay, this may not solve my issue, but if it doesn't, we have a backup a plan to continue to move forward in my care. Yeah. Um, and that that really provides patients a lot of uh, solace and confirmation that, OK, he's heard me. He has a plan. This is what we're going to kind of uh, move forward doing. And, and I think patients really appreciate, uh, you know, that kind of aspect, the conversational piece. Uh, and then that summarization at the end really lets them know uh, that, OK, I've been heard. We have a plan and uh, I feel comfortable with that plan moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and and honestly, what you're saying would save ninety percent of marriages that are struggling. <laughs> right. Here's right. here's what oh, I heard. I'll here's what honest, I heard I don't you know say. That I institute that in my personal life, but in my professional <laughs> life, I've gotten really good. Oh I've yeah, really good at it. Likewise, likewise. You know, yeah. but but seriously, I mean, here's what I hear you're saying. This is what I hear heard you say, and you repeat that back to them to make sure, and it just clears up that communication, and especially, and then utilizing a tool like Dax. It's amazing. I've heard from other providers, it's literally changed the way they provide care, and it, it has really improved that patient experience. So I love that. Now, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just you in that office. You know, it's, it's, right. you have an entire team there. And that's why I love healthcare because healthcare is a team job. It's you have to have a team surrounding you. Like you said, you know, you're the quarterback there for that patient, uh, you know, but you've got offensive linemen, you've got wide receivers, you've got all these teammates that you're able to throw the ball to. So let's talk about, you know, follow up, you know, um, in what ways do you kind of train your staff to follow up with their, your patients and their, and their concerns? Sure. You know, my one of my closing statements that uh, my staff has heard me say is if you have any issues before our scheduled appointment, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's multiple ways to, you know, contact the office for issues, whether it would be by phone um, and, or we have a patient portal where you can access uh, a messaging system. Uh, and those you, I, I like to relate them to emails, but, um, you know, they're a, patients are able to go into their portal. 
um, type up their concern, and that comes directly to uh, my bucket or inbox, uh, and I'm able to respond to those quickly. If we need to be seen, we can get them in. If they just need a medication refill, something simple like that, we can take care of that. You know, uh, I am blessed to have the staff that I have. Um, you know, uh, my title, um, you know, ten, people tend to put me on a pedestal, which I, I don't like to be looked at like that because I think that my front office staff is just a, as important part of, uh, of my team as I am. I think sure. my medical assistants that I have are just as important. My referral staff is just as important um, because we all have to work uh, in synchrony to make these make this office go. Mm -hmm. uh, and because of that, um, it's something that I really um, have a, uh, a big passion about. And I, and I make it a, uh, I do it on purpose to treat them as equals uh, as far as um, in the office environment. Uh, my staff uh, will, uh, they field phone calls. That's probably the, my front office staff. That's one of the biggest things that they do. And they've established good relationships with uh, my medical assistants that, okay, a patient is calling um, about a complaint. Is that something that they just need to go ahead and, and, and schedule that person an appointment for? Sure. Or is this something that we run up the ladder to the medical assistant? And then if the medical assistant has a question, run it up the ladder to me. Um, we all kind of work in, like I said, synchrony to uh, make those medical decision, uh, medical decisions and, and how they go up that ladder. Um, I will say I'm only one person, so um, I can't handle every issue at the exact moment while still seeing patients and those kind of things. And, and I, like I said, I'm blessed to have the staff that I do because they are able to kind of prioritize and triage okay, this patient needs to be seen for this, or this needs to be brought to Nate's attention immediately to uh, address this issue, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, my, my big thing is working as a team. Um, mm -hmm. If one of us fail, we all fail. Yeah. Um, and so I want to keep, I, I, I keep my, uh, my staff accountable um, which is uh, a good trait. You have to be accountable for the things that you do. If something is missed, where was it missed? And what can we do to rectify that situation sure. um, and make sure it doesn't happen again? Um, you know, my staff, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the best in the state. Um, and, uh, you know, there's so many di different aspects. Um, you, know, you know, I always say leave your baggage at the door um, when you come to work, because you can't let your outside, uh, your outside issues affect how you treat others. Um, because it's a direct reflection on me. If they have a bad encounter with one of my staff, um, that staff is a, a branch from, from me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that, that reputation that you build, um, and you try to maintain, um, you have to really be interacting with your staff and, and, and hold them accountable so that you know that that branch is is supporting its weight and holding up what it's doing and making sure these patients are cared for yeah. and getting responded to in a timely manner. Um, so I think you know it's it's one of those things that uh, there is no there is no small cog in the wheel. It, it, it's everyone is the same size cog mm -hmm. in the wheel. Yeah, uh, and that's that. how and that's how I like to treat it. Yeah, you know I hear you saying you know every the everybody's a part of the mission there. Everybody's a part of, you know, it's a shared responsibility to care for this patient, not just the provider, not just you, you know, it, it's, it's everybody's responsibility. That's, that's such a great way to, 
to see it and think about it. You know, now let's talk about following up because, you know, you've mm-hmm. talked about seeing the patient. How do you, you know, interact with them? How do you refer out to the right specialist? You know, because it all reflects back on you. Your team reflects back on you. That's why it's important, you know, to make sure that you're working with them and they're following up on things. But how sure. do you follow up on labs and tests? Because that can be stressful. I'll, I'll never sure. forget, you know, on, I, you know, every time I get my A1C done, you know, I, I'm always stressed out for that result. I remember the first time I, you know, I, you know, I tested for COVID when I, I didn't feel, I kind of felt a little sick and I remember getting the test back and, and the person that called to give me the test, they said, hi, Mr. Preston, we got your COVID results. And I said, okay, great. And they said, you know, your result is, and they had a long pause and I'm like, say it. What is it? What is it? <laughs> so unfortunately it was positive and it, but I was fine. You know, everything, sure. everything worked out. Sure. I was very fortunate, you know? Yeah. And so, so how do you, you know, how do you work with that, with your team, your, your labs and patients, giving them that information in a timely manner? Sure. So, you know, um, in the follow-up aspect, um, it's, it's actually been, I know that the, uh, pandemic kind of brought a lot of um, poor aspects, but one of the positive aspects, as far as follow-up goes, uh, that that the pandemic kind of brought around was the use of telehealth. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows me to follow up with a patient uh, without giving them the stress of coming right back into the office, you know, next week or ten days or fourteen days later. It gives me the opportunity to, you know, they had an infection, we started them on antibiotics. I can call and, and, and hold that that uh, short follow-up appointment without stressing having them have to miss more work or mm-hmm. um, you know worry about transportation to get back into the office those type of things so that is I will say one of the positives that uh, really kind of uh, blossomed out of the the pandemic is the ability sure. for telehealth you know as far as my staff and the labs and and tests like that you know I get a wide range of tests I get mm-hmm. some that uh, unfortunately may diagnose the worst, um, all the way to, you know, checking someone's cholesterol, who's an otherwise healthy human being that, uh, comes back normal. Right. Um, each test, uh, holds its own weight and, um, you know, here's how I look at it. If, you know, it's something that is, uh, you know, life or death, uh, you know, cancer diagnosis, something like that for one, I'm not going to call that patient over the phone. Sure. Uh, and tell them the information. Uh, I will call them and bring them into the office to s- personally sit down with them and talk about everything. You know, one of the things with the restriction with the phone is I feel like people don't think of the questions that they normally would sitting in front of the provider, mm-hmm. um, especially with, you know, life changing, uh, you know, type uh, results. Uh, you know, for those other types of results, I really work well with my um medical assistance. Um, so all the results all come to me, uh, based on those results, uh, we use, uh, our charting system to kind of send messages. I can attach exactly what I want said to the patient, to the bottom of those labs. They are able to make a phone call, uh, basically read a script for me that I, even though I'm not the one saying it to them over the thing that they're saying is coming from the provider who interpret, uh, interpreted those, those results. Um, that takes a little bit of the time struggle off of me because I'm still seeing patients and, and doing charts and sure. and still having all the, all these responsibilities that I have to do. So it, I have to trust in my 
staff to know, okay, they understand what the, what I'm saying means. Um, and uh, if they, so if a patient does have a question after they've been read the results, it's a very simple, uh, you know, they can return the message to me with an additional message to kind of let me know, hey, this is what the patient said. If it's something extremely simple, they are able to answer uh, those questions for those patients and kind of take, uh, take hold of that situation. So because I have a staff that's very knowledgeable uh, and able to convey these things uh, in appropriate manner, it, it, it allows us to be a lot more responsive and a lot more timely as far as returning those results to patients. Um, you know, that's, that's one of those big things, you know, as far as follow up goes, um, I'm the one making the decision. How often does this patient need to be seen? Do I need to follow up sooner rather than later? Um, you know, I like to have that next appointment scheduled for them before they even walk out of this office. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that I rely on my front office staff to complete. Um, and uh, we do a wonderful job about making sure I have the availability and getting that patient back in uh, when they need to be seen. Uh, follow up is, you know, one of the these things, you know, you may have something going on, you go in and talk to a provider, they say, okay, this is what we're going to do. But then they also say, well, we'll see you back in three months. Well, it may be three weeks down the road and, and your problem's not any better, but you know that you still have an appointment um, in three months. So do I say something now? Do I tough it out and wait three months? It, that's one of the big decisions that patients make. My biggest thing that I can convey to them is I always want there to be an open line of communication between sure. themselves and my, my staff and myself. So they have, they feel comfortable sending that message earlier, sending a message and asking, hey, this is, you're three weeks out and I'm still having this issue. What can we do? Do I need to be seen again? Whatever the case may be. Um, you know, there is uh, a big, uh, a big push now coming for uh, what's called CCM, uh, which allows, uh, you know, staff to be able to reach out to patients mm -hmm. um, who qualify for that and, and just check on them. Um, even if they haven't called and had a complaint, you know, the more we can talk to that patient uh, and say, how's everything going? Do you have all your medications? Are you taking your medications? Are you having any new issues? Um, you know, the more communication we can have with those patients, the better the outcomes be because we may catch something early. Mm -hmm. We may catch, you know, the patient was started on a medication uh, and they took it and, you know, a week later they're having an adverse reaction, they stop take it, they stop taking it, but they never notify us um, that they stop taking it. So uh, we were under the assumption that it's still happening. So those things like CCM and, and that close follow-up allow us to kind of mitigate some of those things mm -hmm. um, and, and ultimately give a patient a better outcome. So I think healthcare is moving in a way where uh, follow-up is something that is going to become a more and more and more important uh, important aspect of healthcare, and uh, you know, the more frequently these patients can be talked to or seen via telehealth or seen in person, the better the outcomes uh, they're going to have. Because the primary care is is ultimately the one uh, who's the quarterback. So they're trying to mm -hmm. keep them out of these hospital visits or these you know large health events. Um, and so that communication and follow up is is a very important part of that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, let's close on this because this is, I think, a lot of providers, you know, I think everybody struggles with having tough conversations. I think it's not just a provider thing, you know, especially when they're, you know, medical, you know, issues that people 
deal with. And, and a lot of them can be embarrassing. They can be a struggle to talk about, you know, a lot of patients don't want to talk about exercise. They just don't want to hear, mm-hmm. it. you know, they don't want to talk, you know, about their incontinence problems. You know, they don't want to talk about mental health. They, they're embarrassed, you know, how do you broach those things? You know, uh, you know, maybe a patient needs to go on hospice, you know, and, and you're, you're recommending hospice care, you know, that's, those are tough conversations. It could be, you know, you know, uh, you know, an ACP, you know, that you're recommending they need to do, you know, which everybody should do at the end of the day, no matter what your age, but how do you have those tough conversations, Nate, and not ignore them? Yeah. So, you know, there are a lot of what I consider taboo topics, um, you know, when, in regards to, you know, people's health and, and how they operate on a day-to-day basis and those kind of things. You know, it, it really goes back to my experience, you know, bedside nursing. Um, mm. You know, I, I was the one spending 12 hours uh, a day with that patient and those family members. And, and you really develop a way to be able to talk to them, even about hard things, especially working in the ICU emergency department, you know, like I said, that physician walks in there and says, there's nothing else we can do. And then um, you as the nurses, just kind of, you're, you're left there to kind of pick up the pieces and, and try to make sense of it all. And, and um, I, I really tried to incorporate a lot of the experience that I had in those situations to, to tough conversations. You know, um, one of the things I always say, uh, even as their medical provider, um, in certain situations, nothing I say is going to make this better. Sure. Um, but I can provide you some solace and understanding to where you may be able to cope or wrap your head around it in a, a, a better way. Um, you know, as far as like advanced care planning goes, you're talking about hospice or um, advanced care directives, uh, healthcare power of attorneys, DNRs. Um, living wills, those type of things. That's never an easy conversation to have. That's not a conversation you have over dinner one night, you know, with your wife is, hey, you know, if anything ever happens to me, you know, don't pull the plug or pull the plug. Um, You know, those those terms and and conversations are things that just don't happen, but they are things that need to be talked about. Another positive that came out of the pandemic is there was really a big push because younger and younger people were ending up on life support, having Mm -hmm. breathing uh, tubes, having feeding tubes, Families having to make those decisions with a virus that we really didn't know a whole lot about. Right. But then themselves had never thought if I was in this situation, what kind of care would I want? Mm-hmm. The best thing I can do is honor uh, a patient's wishes uh, in those times, you know, nearing end of life, those type of things. That's that's my biggest focus when you talk about, you know, advanced care planning uh, and end of life conversation. Um so that, that's always something that how I phrase it is, you know, medically, um, you know, this is what's going on mentally. There, there are aspects on you may have shared with me, may have not. Uh, but I always that open line of communication and that comfortability, why I have my interviews in more of a conversation fashion fashion versus, you know, a strict bullet point answer mm. uh, question answer conversation. It allows pe- uh, my patients to kind of open up and make those those hard conversations a little bit easier. You know, as far as mental health, mental health is one of the biggest issues that we have in healthcare right now. Uh, going from acute care to primary care, I didn't honestly realize how much mental health I was going to be addressing in the primary care setting. Sure. Um, but I will say that probably 70 percent of what of what I uh, I deal with on a daily basis is, mm. is uh, you know, mental health complaints and how mental health interacts with our physical health. Right. And sometimes 
our physical symptoms are manifesting from, you know, a mental health issue. And how do you talk about that? Right. Um, you know, that that's a hard thing to approach, you know, sitting there and uh, just saying something when I think you're depressed. Um, well, what good does that do? You know, that person may believe that they're not depressed. Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, kind of explain, you know, you're having this symptom, this symptom, this symptom, this symptom. When you put all of those all those pieces together, the clinical picture is depression. And when you explain it in that format, patients are like, wow, yeah, I have been experiencing that. I have had that issue. I have had that going on. Explaining it in the picture of, hey, this is uh, these symptoms and this is the picture that it fits. It really opens the patient's mind and and they might start digging a little deeper down and, and conveying some things that weren't originally conveyed. Um, I always tell my patients, I can only treat you as well as the information that I'm provided. Um, so if you're holding something back, um, you know, that may be uh, the missing piece of a puzzle that I have to make a diagnosis or to recommend a care plan uh, of a certain type. Um, you know, when you're talking about exercise and incontinence, uh, incontinence in particular, everyone tends to have a, um, a kind of taboo stigma around that. Mm-hmm. I ask every single patient uh, that comes in, how are we using the bathroom? Are our bowel movements regular? How's our urination? Uh, and that's just part of my interview process. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't, if you just avoid it altogether, the patient's not going to come out and tell you that. Sure. Um, so it's a topic that has to be approached. You know, um, again, that conversational tactic allows those things to kind of flow out a little bit more freely. Uh, and it allows the patient to feel more comfortable to share certain things with you. Um, you know, incontinence is, uh, is something that uh, can really alter someone's daily life. Uh, if they have to worry about, am I going to use the bathroom on myself or not, while they're going out to go to the grocery store or while they're sleeping at night, um, you know, that, that in itself can uh, cause um, internal anxiety about a lot of things. Uh, and then you just start compounding problems one on top of another. So it's really something that should be addressed. Now, the final part that you asked about exercise, no one likes to talk about exercise. Nobody likes to talk <laughs> about diet because all they've heard from every every provider they've ever been to is you need to watch what you eat. You need to do physical activity. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm just another one of those providers that brings up those topics um, and it's the reason is, is because the amount of research that we have available to show that simple 30 minutes a day, five days a week of cardiovascular activity, um, the re- reduction in comorbidity and uh, morbidity and death um, just from something as simple as that. And when I say cardiovascular exercise, I'm not talking about you have to be in a gym mm-hmm. pumping iron. Sure. I'm talking about something as simple as 30 yeah. minutes of a brisk walk around the neighborhood in the mm-hmm. evening time. Sure. Um and conveying that in a way that patients can understand that I don't mean you have to go get a gym membership and do these things. I'm talking about, you know, you and your spouse or you and your, your, your children um, taking a, a, an evening walk around the neighborhood. Um, just something as simple as that really does play a large issue uh, in overall health. Um, and when you bring it up and put it in simplistic terms and make them not be afraid of, um, to, get a gym membership and then I'm gonna have to bring a gym bag and then I have to go to the gym after work after I've been working all day and I'm tired. Um, when you when you take it out of those aspects and and kind of uh, simplify it, it makes that conversation a lot easier and it increases compliance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's and that's something that I really aim to do because if I can make a simple change like that 
that's really going to go a long way in the patient's overall health. Um, I always tell patients that I can't change the world in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I may focus on a particular aspect of either exercise or a particular aspe- aspect in diet, like giving up soda, um, or if you eat out every day of the week, decreasing the amount of times you eat out. I give very goal-oriented short-term direct goals. And when they complete those, it gives them motivation to continue making those lifestyle changes. Sure. And so it's just it's just simplifying it down to uh, a way for those patients to really understand. But again, you know, the conversational aspect, I really think that that is something that um, makes a huge difference in how my patients perceive going to see their provider and uh, if their provider is listening and being able to uh, approach those difficult topics much easier and opens up the patient to being either more receptive to what you're saying mm-hmm. or to feel comfortable enough to bring up those topics. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Nate, this is this has been great. What let's as as we close this, what what would you say to another provider that maybe maybe struggling a little bit, you know, maybe they're they're not getting the response from their patients. Maybe their patients aren't being as compliant as they want them to be. Maybe they're not hearing them, you know, whatever it is, what would you say to a provider, you know, that's, that might be struggling in this? Um, you know, you're not going to, one of the biggest things is you're not going to win them all. Unfortunately, there are patients out there that no matter what you do, compliance is always going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but for the most part, um, you know, one of the things I would say is start simplifying goals. Um, make the goal attainable. Give it, give a goal that the patient can actually see um, a a result from. Um, and you know, a lot of times, especially when we talk about diabetes, for instance, we want your A1C under seven. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that you know that that's the what is given by the provider. We want your A1C under seven. There's no more advanced conversation past that to say, this is how we're going to do that other than medications, you know, those lifestyle changes and actually spending the time to talk. Now, does it, it takes a little bit more time. Your visit may be a little bit longer, but going, spending that little bit of extra time providing that education would be uh, an easy way to improve compliance. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, something I would say, uh, you know, to a provider that's struggling is try changing up your, your interview tactic. Don't go by, don't go down a list when you're asking the review of uh, review systems and, um, use more of a conversational, um, uh, aspect, basically give the patient the floor, um, to say, you know, how's it going? What's been going on? What's bothering you? Um, instead of, you know, only asking a set of questions where you may not hit the topic that's bothering them and they don't feel comfortable to bring it up. Um, but if you kind of open it up to more of a discussion or, or more of a conversation, uh, that patient's more likely to kind of convey those things to you. Sure. Um, those would be a couple of simple things that I would probably encourage other uh, providers to incorporate into their their visit technique that might improve some of the improve some of that compliance and to be honest, improve uh, overall patient satisfaction. Cool. That's awesome. Those, those are great step, great tips and, and things that are tangible and easy, you know, easy to incorporate. I love it. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Nate, thanks so much for all you do. And, um, you know, it's, it's been, it's been great. This has been a great conversation and uh, I hope a lot of providers can, can learn from this. Take something, take one tip, take one thing and, and make a change and, and, and to be able to provide better care. Cause that patient experience is huge. It's what you're being graded on. It's, it's a, a large part of what you're being graded on as a provider. And, and we want our providers to, to do great work and, change lives and they can and they are and uh it's it's uh it's important so nate thanks so much for being on the podcast i appreciate you guys having me and uh, i've really enjoyed uh, talking with you about these topics today jamie and uh, thank you uh, for everything you do as far as getting this out to the masses and and helping uh basically provide better care because you're you're giving them the information that they need awesome thank you i appreciate that thanks nate Thanks for listening. And if you could leave us a five-star review, we would really appreciate it. Visit our podcast website at ltcuniversitypodcast.com. You can also subscribe to one of our other podcasts in our podcast network, The Disrupted Podcast with Scott Middleton, Experiencing Healthcare with Matt Staub, and The Thriving Practitioner Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with a new episode. Have a great week.